What does one do with three wishes? You'll see. I have a wish. I don't, uh, there seems to be quite a bit of hate for this movie. Yeah? Yeah, from what I've gathered. I gotta say, I went in, you know, with no, I didn't look up anything. I wasn't even, like, planning on watching the movie, because we, like, pivoted to discuss this movie for the episode very mm-hmm. last minute and so mm-hmm. i just watched it last night uh thoroughly enjoyed it really liked it a lot but yeah, yeah point is i just I, I hadn't read anything since or beforehand i've listened to like 10 minutes of uh blank checks thing on it um, oh but cool that's it yeah they liked it as you would expect but they yeah. were they've been doing george miller or did they just no do i think movies? that this is i think this is the rare case where they want they covered a new movie because it mm. was interesting. Um, interesting. They well, they actually. So what they do is uh, they did cover George Miller. Um, I think back right around the pandemic, and um, whenever a new movie comes out by a director they've covered in the past, they just mm. do it to I see. continue the series, basically. But um, yeah, I uh, I mean, we could. I guess we can get into it whenever. But I'm very positive on this movie. I really like it. I loved it. I that. I like it too. I went to go see this movie. Um, I want to uh, put some context uh, for my viewing. I went to go see it with some friends who were a little like on the fence about going to see the movie as according to the trailer. Um, uh-huh. And like th- that was sort of, I feel like if you watch the trailer, you're like on board. Just mm-hmm. like regardless of who you are you're like i'm going to see that movie whatever it is um and the fact that they had sort of a a muted response to that uh and then just after they had sort of had that response justin texted me he's like it's not exactly what the trailer says it's gonna be pleasure but i think you would leave satisfied if you're either one of those people um, yeah, I, I, I would say with the trailer, um, if I had to, to sum up my reaction to um, the trailer itself, it would be uh, it would be that. Yeah, because I thought the trailer yeah. was great. <laughs> I was like, I was pumped um, because of that Same. trailer. Yeah, yeah. If we talked about it, I think last time we talked, where you had watched that trailer like multiple times just because <laughs> yeah. it gets you so jazzed. Yeah, it really did. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I was definitely like ready for like a Mad Max genie movie, according to the trailer. Um, right. But I was not, I was also in the camp of like, I was pleasantly surprised. I was not disappointed by the lack of that at all. Yeah, I think it'll be a nice once we have the remove of I don't know like a decade to look back, and you look at um, Fury Road this and fingers crossed uh furiosa assuming Mm furiosa is good and delivers what mad max delivered like i think it'll be a nice three movie run with a nice pace of balls to the wall fury road shit 
an unusual, endearing, charming, inventive movie, and then whatever Furiosa delivers. Like I'm, I'm just, I think that'll be a good, you know, tripartite experience. But I yeah. guess that remains to be seen. Yeah, that's a nice way of looking at it. It's an intermission movie. Sure, you have a nice, nice little break, right, uh, from the desert engines. <laughs> you know, I'm actually not very familiar with George Miller. Like, other than Mad Max, I can't really think of anything else that I would know him from. Can That's you guys the main your... thing. Is that it? Um, Babe, Pig in the City. Oh, okay. Shit. Happy. Sequel, it's, just the, it, it's just the, the second. Just, movie, right? it's not, just Pig yeah. in the City. Happy mm-hmm. Feats, uh, Happy's Feet, one and two. Um, which, uh, Witches of Eastwick, uh, which was like a TV... It was one of those movies when I was a kid that was always on TV. Um, Lorenzo's Oil. Yeah, Mad Max. There's probably one I'm forgetting. Huh. Sort of a kind of strange, eclectic filmography. Super eclectic, yeah. And this is a good... This movie is just a great example of, like, uh, the way he can stretch himself. Because I think, going back to the dichotomy between... Uh, the hotel room scenes and the the gin tales. Like, I think he he excels at both in really like uh, different and interesting ways. Like those hotel room scenes are so restrained and low key. Even when you have uh, Idris Elba being the size of a room and like pulling Einstein out of a TV, it's still like it's pretty low key and very straightforward. Um, uh, and I think it's. Uh, well, it's still well executed. Um, and so to have that next to those crazy, the story of Solomon and whatnot, I think it's a testament to his strengths. Sure, sure. Yeah. Where do you want to go from here? Uh, maybe we uh, walk through the plot a little bit. I know that like last time we just like jumped right in which is fine by me, but to a, an external party, it might not make a lot of yeah. sense. So, uh, I'd like that. Let's do a little step by like play by play. Okay. Um, cause a lot did happen. I kind of, yeah, I like the, track. I like the way the movie opens up where it, it feels kind of, this is probably like more transcendent than what I'm going to say, but it, I was going to say Disney. It felt, like just a storybook is there literally like a shot of like a book with like pages turning in it or am i making that up um there is at the end so maybe that's coloring it i don't remember if there okay. is one at the beginning but yeah totally i mean it the, captures that same spirit of yeah. like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna tell a story well right and it's now. once Here's... upon a time yeah but i cut out for a second my internet connection did you oh. notice that oh i didn't notice anything Okay. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> I'm going to go in the other room. <laughs> I saw you waving. I didn't know if you were <laughs> I have something to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like once upon a time and it feels like it's being narrated from out of time because she talks about like... Hmm. Pe- I, I like the, how they describe uh, phones as tiles. People held tiles in their phones right. and... Yeah. I forget yeah. how where she goes from there, but it's this. That, yeah, describes them as like tiles that can summon love songs. I'm like, yeah, I guess they can do that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of totally. underselling it. 
And it's a good, I mean, yeah, sort of harkens to what comes later with the genie, but I think, uh, yeah. I think it definitely feels like a storybook introduction. Yeah, I love that. I felt like the way that it was describing technology through that sort of fable lens was like uh, a pretty interesting version of that. Like glass tiles that someone loves songs. Yeah, like that is what they do, but it feels very uh, storybook simplified. It's like, yeah, yeah it's like one thing that they could do if you were talking about this out of time, but maybe the people who, who are listening to the story don't understand what those things are. Right. It, it, it got me into whatever the universe that that story might be told in uh, yeah. pretty effectively. I, uh, I, I love that, like, the way that this movie kind of tried to weld together kind of old style stories and myth telling with contemporary like science and technology and whatnot. Um, Electromagnetism. Right. Right. And, and it did this yeah. th- uh, through a lot of points in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seemed like something that was trying to undertake. And I really appreciated that. Like, yeah, um, that's like, that's like a new thing in movies, right? It's the, uh, all like ancient magic can be explained with science. Like, I don't know what the quote is, Justin, you probably do, but the, uh, any sufficiently sophisticated technology is indistinguishable from magic, what, whoever, whatever said that. Um, I feel like that is uh, injected into movies, like, wholesale, anytime there's, like, magic in your movie. Like, since, I don't know, 2010. Yeah, um... I think it's a really, so I think there's two interesting things about that. One is, um, it's, it, it sort of, that's exactly what the theme is of the, of the movie, right? Is it's the genie at odds with the, I'm sorry, the djinn at odds with, um, our modern world. And he can't live in our modern world because we have sort of, um, we have sort of degraded magic into this, into our little tiles and our tiles are then broadcast as <laughs> like painful mm-hmm. electromagnetism or, or whatever it is. Right. So mm-hmm. there's that. Um, and then also, Oh, I had a second point. Um, three, two, one. That first point was pretty good. Yeah. I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. Well, I was talking about how, like, that's, like, very pervasive in movies now. What's, like, another yeah. example? Like, Thor. Yeah. Like the first oh, Thor oh, movie. yeah. No, I was going to say, I think uh, George Miller and the screenwriter, who is his daughter, um, told this, really, right. this, this really interesting line where, like, um, they they get into the quote-unquote rules of, of the djinn, which is, like, also a thing that people are really into in pop culture now. But without, mm-hmm. um, but without belaboring it or letting it, um, like letting it drag down the narrative, like it drives the narrative because he's dying from it. But it doesn't like get into the weeds of mm-hmm. what are his powers, how does he, how does he control time and space, blah 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 blah. I think that kind of mm-hmm. stuff uh, can can get really tiresome and irrelevant. Totally, totally. It seems like when it, the part of the movie, and then I'll, we'll get back into like trying to go step by step here. Uh, the part of the movie where he is with the Renaissance genius uh, woman, his second love. Um, 
it seems like it it sort of like starts to get into uh where science and magic meet like if you can unlock the secrets of the universe with just math and how do you actually do that it seems like the movie sets it up where it's beyond our understanding as the audience and that's just the way it is it like attempting to explain it would be kind of meaningless because the the movie sets it up as like an un like magic and those sorts of things are an ununderstandable thing yeah but but also um alongside that i love that he's not just snap your fingers and you have all the knowledge or snap your fingers and you the sultan is in love with you it's um i want the sultan to fall in love with me okay i'll make these oils for you or yeah. I want to have all the knowledge in the world. Okay, let me grab all these books, and you'll read all the right. books. Teaching it to her. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, like, there's a it's an element of magic because where does he get all these books from? Where does he get those oils from? But also, mm-hmm. it's not just there's a process. I think I think that's something that we haven't seen before, or at least you know don't see often is a process to the magic. Yeah, process magic. Yeah, that's cool. DIY. Um, uh genie yeah <laughs> which, which totally genie. feels re- like it feel it makes it feel so real like he's not just yeah. a he's not just this unknowable creature unfathomable creature he's like someone who comes from a different place and has different logic and rules and regulation in the world but he's still in the world yeah yeah that's something that uh was a lot in the movie this kind of very grounded in the world kind of quality yeah like all the all the back in time stories that they told like all the actors like usually when you when people play actors or like they're in ancient egypt or doing some ancient humans that they're like stylized in the way that they act and behave it's kind of dramatic but in this movie they very much felt like you know people but just Mm -hmm. a little bit farther back in time yeah which i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed did you did you also pick up on that kind of that vibe yeah uh i felt that with um some of like sheba like the i don't know who sheba is historically admittedly um but but like uh they they paint her in the movie as this you know basically a demigod it seems like someone who's almost uh immortal like a mythological character and she seems like kind of just like a regular person who uh she like gulps when king solomon shows up and does some magic tricks and uh she's like easily swooned by him but like simultaneously this this otherworldly godlike figure so i felt some of that there um certainly the uh concubine chamber Mm-hmm. That felt very, felt very real. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's. I think it's a testament to George Miller's uh, casting. He, I think he's really adept. Or I'm sure he has a casting director that he's worked with for a million years. It's probably his wife. Um, who, um, but but I think he's really adept at casting like interesting people um, who seem to be real people, not just actors and this is this movie is no exception especially in those you're right in those the tales whatever you want to call those scenes like uh 
yeah, they don't feel like um, they feel grounded. They feel like you actually know them as people uh, that the Jin knew them. You know, the way he describes them is very human. And so they appear very human. I think that's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So Tilda Swinton is a, <laughs> <laughs> is a middle-aged academic uh, struggling um, with something. I don't know. It seems very like forceful in communicating that she's like happy to other people. Uh, so I've seemingly like something's missing in her life. So right. we meet her at like a conference. Is that right? She's like mm-hmm. going to she's an traveling academic... to Instable for a conference. Instable. That's right. Um, Instant Bowl, I think is the, the way you pronounce it. <laughs> Instant Bowl Ramen. Inst- <laughs> uh, and then she uh, starts having hallucinations um, before she even gets to Istanbul. Um, when she lands what, in the airport, the, the handsy guy. Oh, man, yeah. Jocelyn, yeah. her luggage. What does he say? He just says the secrets of Istanbul. The mysteries, I think. The mysteries of Istanbul. Yeah. Which is an incomplete sentence. Yeah. Let's just say. <laughs> yeah. It's like he's pretty, yeah, he's like pronouncing the title of a movie to her. <laughs> That's like when the title card of that episode <laughs> comes up. The secrets of Istanbul. Uh, I guess that was an Istanbul. So that's when she starts seeing stuff. And then she buys a bottle um, at some vendor, at some shop. Uh, and then we go to the hotel room where she is cleaning it, rubs it, accidentally releases Idris Elba as the genie. Is Am I allowed to say genie? Like This movie has made me seem like it's not PC to say genie anymore. I, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. No idea. I they they call him a gin, um, so that's what I'll say. But um, I that's that opens an interesting question, which I don't feel comfortable interrogating um, uh, to the world. That I don't know, like if genie is like an anglicization of gin, or if it's like mm-hmm. you know a bastardization that you're not supposed to use. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, I watched this at Alamo Drafthouse, and like the entire pre-show was about that. About oh, really? The, What'd you yeah, learn? Uh, just that it's like a yeah, genie is like a Western term, and it's more about just like the manipulation of like that character trope and all the things we associate it with that like as Western media consumers. So uh-huh. a lot of like just uh, dispelling like what we normally associate with those things and then by extension like the word itself i have uh, one connection western connection to genies and it's aladdin that's the only <laughs> I, I assume that probably was brought up yeah yeah uh that was definitely the pre-show i dream of genie um mm-hmm. seventh voyage of sinbad mm-hmm. was in there a lot which i love that movie for the record um there were some others, but those were the, the big ones that stuck out and huh. the ones that I recognized. You have an Alamo by you? Yeah. There's like oh, yeah. three of them by me. Wow. Yeah. Like there's three in the Denver area. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That has to be like the highest concentration. <laughs> I, I mean, so. other than Texas, I guess, right? 
if even. Yeah. I mean, how many do they have there? Yeah. One. I don't know. You'll never forget. They um, just have one in the whole state of Texas. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's so big. <laughs> <laughs> you have to travel real far <laughs> to get to that one. Uh, uh, but then for the for the movie, like basically the rest of the movie is just in that hotel, hotel room. room. The genie's telling stories. They're um, Tilda and the Jin are talking, and then it ends with um, you know her going back to London. And there's some more movie, but structurally that's kind of that's kind of what it is. You want to dive into the genie stories? Sure. He said, like, he opens up the the hotel room scenes by saying that that was his third incarceration. So I guess that means that that sets up the movie to say we're going to have three uh, granting wishes stories, flashbacks. Um, was there actually three? Yes. Just three stories? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sheba... Uh, that crazy king guy with the sword, mm-hmm. and then like the 18th century mm-hmm. uh, woman academic. Gold. Well, there was also the woman who uh, asked to get pregnant. Yeah, that was the, the. That's the crazy king sword guy. Yeah, that's the. That was the like long story in the middle. Oh. Okay. Her name was uh, Gold, Golden or Golton, and then the last one was like Saphir or Zamir or something like that. Hmm. Notably, uh, throughout the movie, at least uh, maybe I missed something, but like when you get to the end of the whatever story it is, he's in the golden bottle, like the original one that King Solomon put him in. And at some point I was like, is he like misleading like how many times he's been in the bottle? Because that's the wrong bottle. Like, obviously, he's in, like, the porcelain bottle later on. Uh, but I think I might have just, like, miscounted or, like, you just pointing out that that one with the pregnant woman is actually, like, just a really long story. Maybe I just misunderstood, like, how many times he got put away. Right. Because that that second story, he's only put away once, but he has the stretch where he's invisible. Um, mm. And he's waiting for them to uncover the... Um, I guess it's the bottle, right? He's, mm-hmm. he has to, yeah, he has to uncover, is it, he has to uncover the bottle under the stone? Is that the right? Stone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I love I the little detail about like how the, the child that could sense him, the one who like grew up and came back and like took over and was like crazy. Like th- that, he had like hair on his legs, and so was obviously a descendant of Sheba, which is why or, he had the ability to sense him. I thought he said he was a descendant of Jin. Like he said he had Jin blood in him. Well, Sheba was half Jin. Oh, is that it? Yeah, I see. She was Sheba was um, Idris Elba's cousin, I think. Yeah, I think they were they were related, and I think it was cousins. But they were in love, too. They were in love, yeah. But it was a different okay. time, Trevor. It was a different That's time right. back then. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Uh, yes. All right. So, so the, do you want to go through the stories? Sure, sure. So, story number my, one is... Yeah, story the, number one. Is the... Uh, 
Uh, it's Queen Sheba. She is. is the, does that count as story number one? It is. Yeah, that is story number okay. one because it ends with his okay. quote unquote incarceration. So that's his like okay. first tale. But um, that that one seems uh, interesting because it it seems like the most magical out of all of them. Right. Uh-huh. Because, because it's like, farther back in time, I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, like King Solomon is like a sorcerer or something like yeah in that story um but you don't really see any like humans with like powers or anything like that in any of the subsequent stories it's like only then when like the line between uh like magical person and like regular human is like a little blurry yeah yeah with with a few exceptions but you're right i mean and solomon who i i first encountered because he's in the bible and then later as sol so there is solomonic magic he's like known as a sort of like um totemic figure in magic with a k um circles Mm -hmm. right he is like yeah so a sorcerer uh he there are like grimoires you know about solomonic magic and so to be able to see that depicted on screen so like imaginatively is pretty cool because he has Mm. the of course the instrument is just insanely cool and what a what a great visual but also like there is that there's the montage of his like um exploits and one of them was like him i know it was like a creature whispering something to him do you remember that yeah yeah yeah. because the queen like gave him several impossible challenges like guess the name of my mother or something and get this random thread yeah and so the magical kingdom comes together to like help a brother out yeah yeah totally well but and it's and you get the sense that it's because of his sort of his magical aura his being that he is able to move through these spaces and get the help from yeah there was like a creature that comes down and whispers something to him he has like like command of ants to do his bidding yeah it's a weird creature i I believe the secret that the creature says is like what women truly want yeah that that or his it was an i think it was a name i think solomon knew what women truly wanted but the creature told him, because he's like a baller, apparently. He's like a magic and a baller. But I think the creature <laughs> told him, whispered the name of Sheba's mo- mother or like uh, a nickname or something that her mother had. Yeah. I forget. I forget it was why like that was hard. Secret name. Yeah. Hmm. Carol. It's <laughs> Carol. Carol. <laughs> I remember the creature looking kind of funny. Like, I can't really imagine it in my mind right now but it was like it seemed it like a, it was like a it's like a star it wars like creature it, a star wars creature yeah that's what i, I, I wanted too. to say like a tauntaun or something yeah remember it's funny because i had a star wars it's funny that we all thought star wars i to me it, it i don't remember what it looked like but in my head it kind of looked like a uh biological version of the um the robots in phantom menace the ones with the like long mm. you know heads um Wait, uh, what? I don't know. It's not it's not worth getting into. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It it also had like a Jim Henson feel to it, which I feel like yeah. um even if it wasn't practical, it felt practical. Um and I think George Miller's good at that, like making things feel real 
like you're looking at something real because it it's kind of slightly off or hinky. Mm-hmm. So all that results in uh, while King Solomon and Sheba are uh, getting it on. Um, what's the Jin's name? Does he have a name? He just he's just called Jin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jin's like hidden on a pillar and. Solomon casts a spell and imprisons him for the for the first time. And that's the bottle that like remains throughout however many thousand years until he gets switched to the, the porcelain bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what happens? He gets like thrown in the ocean? Is that no, right? No, not at that step, right? Or is it that is that step? Um he eventually I don't uh that's a good question. He eventually makes his way into a wall. I know that. I don't remember if he's in the ocean or not. Oh, no, That's he right. is. He's That's he's right. in the ocean. He ends up in the skull. He ends up in a skull of some sort. Mm-hmm. He, he's caught by fishermen. He ends up in a skull. And then he ends up as like a brick or something in a yeah, wall. a brick yeah. in a wall. Where it's loosened by that girl who ends up wanting to get pregnant. Yeah. That's like, right. She climbs and like missteps on that brick. Uh-huh. I thought she was just going to, like, wreck her body, like, falling off the wall. It was not. Like, I reacted way too strongly to her. (laughs) Did you jump? (laughs) Like, oh! It did make it seem like she was really, like, high up. Like, she would have died had she fallen. Yeah. I'm I'm there with you. Uh, Yeah. And then... That's the same story where he turns invisible, right? When that girl... Yeah, it's like a multi-part uh-huh. story. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that was like a, a longer story, but the Shiba one was super short, very self-contained, and then this one kind of dragged on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he, so yeah, he meets a concubine. I think her name is Gol- Golton. What and, is a concubine? Uh, just like a, like a lover, right? I'm not. Uh, I, I, I'm not qualified to talk about this one. I think. I think just like a lover that you take consensually and it's accepted by the court, no matter who That's they what are. I've heard. I the think court it's concubine. Just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like the court has accepted this person as your lover. I don't okay. know if you marry or what. If you have their that, child, okay. or that makes yeah. sense. Then why she would like? Uh, why she wants? like marriage and the child that she aspires to that based on her position. Oh, so maybe, it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a so, lowly position that she has. Right. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's enough that you're close to him, but you're not close enough that you're married or you have their children or mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So that's what, uh, that she wishes that she could have his child and that they could marry. And then that ends in tragedy. She killed. She's killed, right? Yeah. He's killed too right they're yeah. they're both the father um i don't remember why but the father kills the son and then she's killed it's because uh yeah someone like someone uh tells the sultan that like the men like don't trust him as a leader anymore because he's mm. like spending too much time writing poetry yeah, I think. Oh. Uh, and then his men are like, "Hey, no one, uh, no one respects you anymore, and we're going to install <laughs> your son as the leader." 
and so uh-huh. he kills he kills his son well importantly it's not that important but like the reason that that like that the politics started turning against the favor of that son the rightful heir is because there is like this random like the head concubine lady right who had her own son that she wanted to inject into the throne and so she started doing like these like maneuvers political maneuvers behind the scenes to yeah get yeah. that son whacked that's right all of that all of that like i feel like that's a like that's a stars show like that those <laughs> politics we just described uh and it happens like in 30 seconds like describe that entire sequence sure of that. i mean there was that a is... lot of exposition i was like trying i was like <laughs> watching super intensely to try to is this gonna be important in five minutes from now yeah <laughs> That that sort of palace intrigue, it either like grips me or it bores me to death. And I, I mean, I was into it this one, but sometimes when there's just like a name, a bunch of names to remember, and all the people look the same, or you know, they're all just sexy people who have swords or you know, low cut yeah. dresses. It's like who who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. But you're into um, House of Dragon, so. Oh, Game of Thrones too. Yeah, I am. I am into that. No, it's good. This last episode was real Game of Thronesy incest and everything. Cool. Okay, so I remember I asked you last time about this, and you said there was no incest. No incest, I but I was wrong, man. There's incest. Yeah, yeah. So now you're <laughs> you were into it, and now you're real. Yeah, you guys know my proclivities. I mean, all the way. <laughs> Please cut that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay uh yeah and then Um, the part that i do need a little bit just a refresher on is uh what happened with the kid with the sword going away and then coming back and then taking power well he like was that i think it was like just generations later right it was like was there some time was there like a few hundred years or something right because like the the bathhouse that he was under the stone and was like a walled off room that's right there was there was a time jump for sure Mm -hmm. yeah like it was a forgotten part of the palace like where that kid ended up finding him got it got it yeah so that was oh i forget is it mustafa it's mustafa Mustafa, i think that kid is mustafa and then uh ibrahim is the harem guy so Mustafa's the kid who grows up to be yeah, he goes to war, he comes back a total like loony. Um and is then Is that I'm, another real like biblical story, Mustafa and Abraham? I believe so. I don't know about biblical. I believe this was a real these were real figures. Okay. I feel um, like I would appreciate the movie a lot more if I had any of this yeah, background. Same. Yeah. Um I'm... and Abraham is the kid who yeah grows up to be the dude who's just into you know large women and fur <laughs> now that's the bible i know that for sure. <laughs> right yeah yeah let's talk about like uh the the orgy chamber real quick let's spend a few minutes on that <laughs> disgusting so i love well i love it's not rush to judgment i love how the um you know you guys know what i'm gonna say the moment where he Ugh. like sticks his arm out of the Ugh. the the door or whatever, just covered in what I assume is a mixture of splooge and other bodily fluids. Um, 
It's just a, it's just an image that's just designed to make me recoil. There's yeah. nothing. It serves no other purpose. It's just like, look how fucking gross this is. And, what, and it's his mom too that he's slathering this, yeah. Yeah. this, these fluids in, which is so. What gross. is a mom thinking about his son just fucking jizzing in that room all day? <laughs> I guess. What does any mom think about that? <laughs> Hashtag it's, motherhood. I mean, it's not unlike a like like a uh, just like a teenager, right, in their room uh, with access to the internet. Right, it's not not that. Yeah. Hold on, guys. No, I'm getting a call from George Miller. Let's see what he says about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Did you guys have like the little like a uh, clip of George Miller before the movie started? Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw that, that. was nice. Yeah, way nicer than the Tom Cruise one, which frankly, you know, sort of frightened me. But uh, did he have one in Top Gun? He did. Yeah, yeah. real F-18s. Real for you. <laughs> yeah back to the movies um did i I ever send you sorry real quick yeah this is relevant i promise there was like a tiktok i sent a while back it might have been after we both hopped off tiktok um but it's of like a fight breaking out in the movie in a movie theater just some like amc and like it's people like yelling like you 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 need to get the fuck out of like actual exclamations and all the while, it's that Nicole Kidman like, <laughs> movies ad, like playing in the in the background at full volume. <laughs> That's, a, That's so funny. So, wait, I wait, saw so that. what was that? Was that a real thing or a, 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 like an edited thing? It was a real thing. Yeah, I hate that ad so much. Every time it comes on, I just like <laughs> God, shut up. I saw Nicole it for the Kidman. first time when I went and saw Jaws last week. I'd never. I think I maybe seen it on YouTube, but I'd never seen it in a theater before. And, oh, really? Uh, you don't go to AMC's then? No, not really. Um, so. It was at first. It's like the pointing DiCaprio meme, where it's like, "Oh my God, it's the Nicole Kidman thing," and then it's pretty. It's a pretty anticlimactic thing because it's, yeah. I mean, it's just Nicole Kidman spouting bullshit did, for why, thirty seconds. Why is AMC's stuff so bad? They also have those like ads where they show all of these really like unrealistically attractive people, like getting their coke and their popcorn and like being totally enamored by <laughs> the act of going to the movies like it's the it's this novel thing that no one ever gets to do yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. which is essentially the same thing with the nicole kid right where they right, just yeah. like they just holier than thou they're so special sure mm-hmm. i i actually will take so the one of the worst offenders is because i go to regal a lot because that's the one here mm-hmm. and um and there they have this ad that's like this pre-roll ad that's like um it's people, it's that, it's people like going to the concession stand, going into the movie, meeting each other, but all the while they're saying movie lines to each other as dialogue, like uh-huh. famous movie lines. Okay. Uh, you know, like, um, here's looking at you, kid. Here's looking at you, kid. You think I'm funny. We're going to need a bigger boat, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. But it's like yeah. in the course of dialogue and it's the worst piece of shit you've ever seen, but at least it like attempts, it, it, it doesn't attempt to be like, um, aspirational or inspirational, like something like the Nicole Kidman one is. Like it's funny, right? Rever- like, it's not yeah. reverent. It's not. Yeah, of course, it's not funny. It's dreadful, but it's like at least not so fucking over the top about the movies. <laughs> I feel like um, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, Justin, but I feel like um, 
being like irreverent in um in any sort of media that fits into that category like mid-tier advertisements used to be like an easier target and now like the easier target is just like be funny like be self aware because anytime you see like the amc treatment on anything you're like what is this like uh full of itself like bullshit right and now you're just like oh just give me like some jokes and like i'll i'll buy your thing i'll i'll take shitty jokes that make me angry over like this sort of fake yeah fake reverence right uh Mm -hmm. they don't really feel that way i feel that way about movies sometimes i don't feel like they do i think uh that's what annoys me is that i like i don't knock the message right but i i resent that i'm that i am that i am being like targeted sure. towards that message yeah yeah i just want to watch um I, I, minions. I don't want my truths to be told to me <laughs> back to me in the form of you know commercial advertising right 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 by nicole kidman right in a in a movie theater alone yeah this out of touch celebrity yeah looking as robotic as she ever has yeah what's wrong with her why does she look like that no comment I have no idea I mean, the same could be said about Tom Cruise. I think they're just total lizard people. And I don't mean that in, like, an anti-Semitic, like, uh, conspiracy way. I just mean, like, just total inhuman trash, uh, these these folks. One of my favorite uh, Justin Wheatley quotes from way back, I mean, this is, like, paraphrasing, but talking about conspiracy theorists as, like, the problem with conspiracy theorists is that they're right. It's just they're not lizard people. <laughs> it's true, man. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the world is run by pedophiles. They're just yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. lizard people. They're <laughs> they're real people. They're, yeah, they're they're, they're real our senators and yeah, yeah, uh, whatever. I'll 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 shut up. But um, so that's the yeah the second story. Uh, you have the the kid grows up to be the <laughs> maniac with Nicole. Maniac. In the with Nicole. <laughs> yeah, that was the intermission. <laughs> the kid grows up to be the maniac. The brother is. I, I love that character, like him coming back. And once again, like to, to the point I made earlier about how real the people seem. Like that guy just seemed like a legitimately uh, broken, violent, mm-hmm. impulsive human. Right. Seems like someone who like. I legitimately believe like suffered from really intense PTSD uh-huh. or like psychosis. Sure. Like sure. a real mental disorder. Like not unlike, you know, somebody you could encounter on the streets, you know, yeah. like unhoused it's not, people. It's not like this like ancient concept of like madness. No, it's like no. someone who's like it's actually like one. struggling with something. But, yeah, but I will yeah. say, I think key to that is that the movie doesn't, feel like it has to linger on sort of modern notions of trauma. It doesn't have to like try to bring into the conversation like what he's gone through. We just mm-hmm. all understand. I feel like there's an impulse now to course correct decades previous where we just called it shell shock or whatever. Blah mm-hmm. blah blah. Yeah, madness. And then mm-hmm. like ignored the fact that they were real. And now there's like not to not to have a conversation about like woke or whatever, but I do think there are like we we sort of think that okay now we have to interrogate what is trauma, what happened in war, you know. Well, I would have uh, loved that. Just like another, just <laughs> make the movie fifteen minutes longer. 
Oh, and just see <laughs> just the, the war. The, the, is that what you mean? Like seeing the... maybe some more conversations between him and that old story. Oh, sure. Guy. Right, right, right. What did you, bro, dude, real talk. What did you see over there? Man? <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> no, I just like that the movie doesn't try to reach into this sort of 2022, um, way of thinking about trauma, PTSD, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, but it did show like, you know, the realness of it. In a way, like it neither like rested sure. on an old school idea of a mad person or like a newer age treatment like, of mental illness. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, I think it's like two parts, like performance and then just like context. Like we as a twenty twenty two like audience, like look at a person who's like performing that way, and we're like, that's like mental illness, or that is like real trauma. And we don't need any more information than that. And, and that's... Yeah, that's what... I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like we're so lacking that. You're right. It's mm-hmm. con- It's context clues, something that we learned in second grade. And it's us bringing our own knowledge. Like, we don't have to be told that he's experiencing this, you know, X feeling. We know it. And I do think mm-hmm. a lot of properties now either don't understand that or choose to forego it and instead mm-hmm. treat us like we're you know 14 which i guess a lot of audiences are but yeah yeah i get what you're saying it's like just like a the the proper way to like treat that thing in movies going forward because everybody gets it everybody knows what's going on now well i mean i think it's like to the larger point like george miller I feel like uh, adult storytelling is not something you see at the Cineplex anymore. And George Miller mm-hmm. Miller is an adult storyteller who knows that he's communicating to fellow adults. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of things are aimed at either the lowest common denominator or international audiences, which I don't mean to say that they're not to infantilize international audiences, but we have to sort of generalize the message to yeah. the to the point where things are lost in that translation literally totally yeah great points all right so comes back from war is (laughs) (laughs) is pretty messed up i like how it seemingly like we get off track but we like (laughs) we still have a north star at the end of the and i can't believe we've kept to it of of trying to go through the movie linearly which we've (laughs) never done never and this is a podcast we're, first. We're fucking doing it. You know what I want to start saying because I hear it on blank check a lot now is just referencing people that no one who might be listening has any reference for or would know who they are and just say friend of the podcast. Oh, sure. <laughs> friend, of the po- friend of the podcast, Elizabeth Wheatley once sure. said. <laughs> yeah. My favorite um, part of that crazy guy was him just drinking and then hitting the drinks with a sword. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was like the Fantastic. plot of somebody to just have him perpetually drunk all the time. Right, right. Because right. this guy mom, like came right? into power and the people around him are just like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, what do we do? Like, right. This is a real predicament. Yeah. It was a way to like keep him under control because he yeah, would just... Yeah, yeah. He would have done some crazy stuff. Uh-huh. And, and I mean, similarly, the brother, Ibrahim, 
a way to keep him in control and from fucking anything up was to just lock him in a fur-lined room with women. Right. I really quick on the orgy chamber. I really like the the tracking shot through the room just demonstrating all the different shapes and sizes of the women in there and how the the last one is like really tall and <laughs> extends beyond the frame and he just like looks up <laughs> like you would like a giant or something like in a cartoon you know now, yeah. he too that character is somebody who is like almost as mentally unfit as his brother is right in a different just way, for the com- yeah. in yeah. a different way instead of like violence and and yeah violence it's just sexual stuff sexual fetishes and yeah, but they they both seem to have like brains that have kind of gone to mush a little bit. Which you oh, think yeah. if you think about it, like especially back then, if you're a royal, um, how do you not either become an insane psycho who's seen the worst atrocities at war, or a pampered, yeah. uh, baby-brained weirdo? Right? Like, th- I feel like those are the two modes of being when you're a royal. There's no. There's no like moderation right. if you're like a, a yeah, royal yeah, yeah. in a certain time period and context. Yeah. Man. So much time of human history was like hinged on, you know, the personalities of these individuals who just like wielded all the power. Yeah. Just no filter between like the human nature of, of these like really privileged, powerful individuals and, and the rest of society. Yeah. 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 I guess this is a good time to pause and and give our condolences to the um, UK. Um, we've lost our mother this week. Um, Her Majesty, gone too soon. Yeah, yeah. God save it, the Queen. It always kind of makes me sad when old people don't make it to a hundred, like when they're shy of a hundred. When they're really close, like when they're yeah. really close to 100 and they just they just miss it. Yeah. yeah, this one wasn't too bad, but if you had like a 98-year-old, 99-year-old, you're like, gosh, yeah. a century. You could have seen a century. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't think either, I, I don't know if either of you are like Nintendo fans like I am, but I don't know if you saw today, Nintendo had like a Direct, which is like their thing where they broadcast like new releases and stuff. And... Um, and they had pulled, unexpectedly, they pulled the Direct from the UK. Like, they weren't going to show the Direct in the UK. And people were like, why aren't they showing the Direct? And then, uh, so the Direct happens. And at the very end, they show footage from the new Zelda. And they do the title reveal of the new Zelda, uh, which they hadn't previously. And the title oh. is T- Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course speculation is that they <laughs> they had to pull it last minute because of the title it was very funny that's funny so something i realized about the queen um like probably last year is that like i've never really heard her voice like that i've just not consumed media that would ever involve her speaking um so for a long time i just like didn't even know what she sounded like right like my entire life i didn't know what she sounded like right um and then only like after she died have like the has the algorithm like fed me these like montages of like top 10 hits the of the queen like zingers like queen zingers 
over the last like 10 watch years mojo top 10 <laughs> yeah. oh my god yeah yeah and in those uh so now my only context for like the queen of england's voice are these little like jabs like during pr- press events or whatever sure where she's like making fun of the the situation super nice. brit yeah super britishisms mm-hmm. i listened to her do like a radio broadcast during world war Two. It was like you listened during World War Two. That's amazing. Yeah, that you were able to do that. <laughs> it's incredible what you can do with you know. <laughs> was she like a? Was it like a morning zoo type show where she's doing like sound effects and she's bringing strippers into the studio? Yeah, she was doing bits with Groucho Marx. It was hilarious. <laughs> this is Queen Lizzie in the morning. <laughs> Dizzy Lizzie. <laughs> Her her co-host is named like you know, Fart King Ben or something. Yeah. <laughs> Queen and the Queef. <laughs> there you 7. go, Queen yeah. and the Queef. Yeah, the Monarch's number one source for classic rock. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, <laughs> so Abraham <laughs> eventually becomes. Re- well, I really liked the the storyteller that they bring in, uh, who yeah, like. Yeah is the one yeah. guy who can connect to yeah did but... you ever hear him speak or like even tell a story because he was just part of a montage right i think so i don't think we hear him we just see him gesticulating and and not like not unlike the queen not unlike never... the queen famously yeah. sort of like animated person uh <laughs> yeah uh, uh yeah what did you like about him i don't know i just, just thought that was a cool character uh just like the intriguing... one dude who had the keys to this guy's brain yeah he he's yeah. the one who tell because because then it it kind of captures your imagination what the fuck is he telling him what kind of stories does this guy have and i and yeah. i really like that like i really like i know the whole movie is like you know blah 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 the power of story but specifically <laughs> i want to know what the fuck this guy had to say and, like, it yeah. makes you wonder, like, especially back then when oral tradition was all they had, like, what were these stories like? Like, what, yeah. what, 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 I'm, it's so fascinating. I have no idea. Yeah. Like, I, I have well, this would... bias where I, I think that I would be bored by their stories, but maybe I'm not giving them enough credit. Maybe they were fucking fantastic storytellers and, like, overall just great entertainers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cause, like, Cause I find, like I think stand up is great, and that's just a guy talking. Yeah, I mean so, that doesn't really no exist anymore, other than niche um, venues like stand up. But even that is like a specific kind of stand up. Like there are storyteller stand ups uh, or people mm-hmm. who lean toward that, but it's not the common mode of stand up. So like I feel like it's it is a really like bygone talent to be able to capture someone's attention with what is essentially not even a monologue; it's a story. It's a narrative, but to tell it orally is like that's a totally unique skill. Yeah, uh-huh. I had this. It, I had this thought the other day when I was rewatching. Uh, I got kind of high and watched Pirates of the Caribbean just kind of randomly. <laughs> um, and if you remember, like Mr. Gibbs from those movies, he's like kind of the pudgier sidekick character. He like. Uh, in the very beginning of the first movie, he's the one who's like, stop singing about pirates. Or like, it's bad luck to have a woman aboard. Remember that guy? I'm looking him up. Anyways, his his whole character is like, yeah. he um, 
whenever someone's like attention is like split for a moment, he like jumps in with like a really fantastical story. He's the one who tells all the stories about like Jack Sparrow getting off the island, which are like rooted in nothing. He's just kind of making them up is what you learn throughout the movies. Oh, really? He's just m- making up the stories. Um, and I, th- I had this thought where I'm like, what he's doing is not a new thing nor is it like really a bygone thing depending on how you look at it because like when you're at a party and if you can like sense like the attention sort of directed at you and if you have like a good story in the can like you can really like ride a wave of like people's attention not on Uh like uh doing a stand-up bit where you're just like all right i got i have these people and i have this like story that just by the nature of the way I tell it and the bullet points in it, I know that it will like captivate these people at least for like 30 seconds or something. And it's like, it's like a party trick. It's like, I'm going to tell this story at a party and I'm going to get some people involved. I think of my like cousins. Um, I I think this is like more phenomenon of like larger social groups or social groups of at least of a certain size, certainly like classmates. You can like remember, Mm -hmm shooting the shit for classmates and people like kind of competing for the ear of the circle. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I think of my cousins, my older cousins who, you know, before the age of the internet, they, they they developed fantastic abilities to, you know, spin yarn and tell jokes and otherwise, you know, just be very gregarious and funny and entertaining. And it's, I think it's a little bit of a lost art now that we like, are so readily entertained. Mm-hmm. Well, and we I don't like... have, and we don't have stories because we have our tiles entertain us or we sort of, we're, we're closed off. We've lost that sense of community, you know, in our world. Like, yeah. I, I mean, Trevor and I have talked about this. Like, um, in fact, this is a common subject of ours, but like dreams, right? Our dreams yeah. were once, uh, ways of dealing with, um, the world around us like we would game out situations with predators and whatnot in our dreams and now our dreams are all kinds of fucked up and don't make sense and it's because our our lives don't make sense in an evolutionary way so Uh like in the same way stories i mean when you live in whatever era this was um surely things were happening you day to day that were far more eventful or incidental than anything that happens to us today I walk mm-hmm. to work and then I come back and I make dinner and I record a podcast. Like that's what, what story am I telling? Even, even if I live an exciting life, I probably don't have the kinds of stories that an average peasant would have, um, you know, back then yeah. a thousand mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. I feel this all the time that like people, even just a generation or two behind us, they just like led more interesting lives than we do. Or at the very least, they were much more skilled at uh, communicating about those lives, because uh-huh. in order, uh, in order for anything in your life to um, be of substance, or uh, in some ways, it was like the only way that you documented things is like being able to like recall them in the context of a story, and now you like everything is recorded and so it's like perfect recollection but if you can like retell something that happened to you in like an interesting way i also think just a lot of the past is just like 
bullshit and fabricated for that reason for like the uh in service of like theatrics because uh-huh. like there's no way to verify anything and like a better story is a better story so like sure you would take creative liberties with both things that you you would say about your own life yeah, I, I know a guy who works in the storytelling field, and he has this line, and it's, whoever has the best story wins. And I think that's true, and that's especially true back then. But um, I know there are people like historians and scientists who rely on the past being um, precisely documented, and I get that. But for normal people, I think uh, I think we've lost something in our precise recordings and on our price do- precise documentation of 2022 right like i feel like our lives are somehow uh less richer than they once were because there is less whatever you want to call it magic or wonder or mystery There's less, yeah less mystery yeah that's what i was gonna say yeah uh yeah this whole movie really like touched on something inside of me where like it like almost unlocked a yearning for a that longing kinda... yeah a longing oh. 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 <laughs> no, a yearning like for i don't know just like everything we've been talking about especially like just the importance of telling stories and making up narratives because the whole movie is essentially just Tilda Swinton going through this process of telling herself a story about herself through the use of metaphor and fairy tales, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is that what literally is happening throughout the movie? There is no genie. Mm, I so well, I think that's an open well, this, question, but I would Well, this is, is this like skips way ahead to is that what you're asking? Is there? Yeah, you're right. Okay, so we're in the orgy room. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I do think so. We're right around where she opens up about her own past, and I do think that leads into that story well, because. Uh, well, okay, okay, yeah. Let's finish the let's finish that second story, and then I'd like to talk about that. But um, yeah, what's I, left I, I need to write something. Story? I need I need to write something down because that sparked yeah. a thought in me that I want to come back to and so, i don't forget okay. it if i don't write it down cool so he ends up going yeah. invisible um oh no wait that was invisible before. no no yeah, i'm sorry he's been invisible oh yeah no you're right he's been invisible the whole time he's, uh-huh. he's witnessing all of this yeah he's witnessing all of this i forget what were that oh uh the old guy dies the old storyteller guy dies and the king the crazy king drinks himself to death right and, and then I think he, then he's released by like one of the women falling on the stone, releasing him. Yeah, which is of questionable um, okayness. I, I feel like that was a bit of a cheap. <laughs> that was a bit of a cheap plot point uh, to just have an overweight woman uh, fall Earlier on a stone when, and break when, it. Like the genie was like, "Oh, my fate would would you know is, is going to be decided by the fetishes of this." Right. of this prince and she's like right. well how are those two related she's like, just yeah. wait and see yeah, yeah. i'm like okay a fat I'm, joke yeah i think i might have missed part of this is that you guys are talking about where she slips and like yeah. cracks the stone yeah. yeah 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 um i i do really like and and he uses this view a lot where you just get the weird like blurry fisheye 
effect. He does that in like several points throughout the movie, and I really like it. It's just one of those like lo-fi camera techniques, or it, it's probably not in camera, but whatever he's using to make that effect, I think it's really effective because there's the, not much. Are to you talking it. about the POV? Of the POV, Jin. yeah, where it's yes, yeah, the Jin, but it's mm-hmm. like when the Jin is invisible. He uses, mm-hmm. he also uses it when she's at the beginning when she's seeing the do it in the crowd like it just that weird like i don't even know how to yeah. describe it um yeah yeah it's a little like um it's almost sort of like 3d-esque where like stuff is, like you're seeing blurred like layers of things you see like right pool. right um yeah like what you would look at like a 3d screen if you weren't wearing glasses yeah yeah it's kind of what the, what that looks like yeah i like it um, um so he's on real the- quick about the guy in the crowd um at the very beginning of the movie uh that was really scary yeah like seeing that dude and the way that like he's it's very specifically color corrected in the same way that like mad max like did like eyes do you remember that in like mad max how like people there'd be these really like deep like dark like orange and black tones and then people's like eyes would be like bright like white and blue and yeah. people look like literal demons yeah in a scary way that same thing with like that guy and maybe even the guy who was in the airport just like really kind of scary imagery that i i haven't really seen anywhere else other than this and mad max at least in this very specific way i think that's like again like not only is it great casting but i think he just has a way of it's visual storytelling and it's visual like wit, you know, to be able mm-hmm. to uh, capture these things in yeah unsettling. Like the the little guy in the airport was unsettling, but then I agree with you. The dude in the crowd was just like kind of scary. Um, and I don't know mm-hmm. if you I don't know if you saw the little guy anywhere else, but I did see the guy in the crowd in Sheba's like court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I noticed that as well. Um, but they never touch on that, which I like. I like that you're just left to connect those dots. Mm-hmm. There's a couple mm-hmm. of instances of stuff from the real life being showing up again in the stories. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> anything else? Do you know? Do you remember anything else? Uh, well, not thinking of this one's not a, not a great example, but just. It's actually not a great example at all, but like the the tray of food that the genie brings with them to Tilda Swinton was also in one of the older stories. Oh yeah, um, but then I'm thinking, well, the genie was also there in the old times, so I guess that's just something he likes making. But I like that that yeah. he yeah that he just likes it's his like order. Yeah, yeah, melt in your mouth, melt yeah. in your mouth. Really want to try those. Do you notice that uh, one of the neighbor women? Uh, to Tilda Swinton, like the British ladies, that one of them is from Mad Max. She's like one of the desert-dwelling women. Yeah, she's um, the one that uh, points the gun at Morton Joe. She's like his, like uh, I don't know if she's his original wife or what, but unless no, you're, that's not that's not right. One of them is. But, well, they, okay, yeah. If one of them is, and the other one is like, um the australian woman that like they meet at the end of the movie where she says like oh cool where 
she says something like i kill i i've killed everybody i've ever known out here yeah right right and she's the one who has seeds she has like a bag of like seeds yeah um Anyways, fun little George Miller connection there. With yeah. Those, those casting. But um, let's wrap up this uh, story. Whatever whatever story we're in right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so then he gets uh, uncovered and he's trying to get the lady to say her last wish, but she refuses or wishes him back in the bottle at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Understandably. That's right. I wouldn't want yeah. him coming at me either. Yeah, he, he's like maybe I should have like uh, maybe exercised a little more tact. Right, but he does. He comes he, right out of the bottle. He's like, "Quick, no, no, yeah. I'm in a desperate situation." Yeah, yeah, I love that. How he he says that I was uh, <laughs> I was probably acting a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, you get it. So not to prolong this story, but just to go back really quick, I really liked the um, uh, point in the tunnel. It's still when Golton was alive. He's in the tunnel with her and the dude who's from the cult. Like they don't. That's this right. is another thing where they don't really explain it, but yeah. there's just a you know an, an op- opponent cult, and the dude like turns into a weird spider. Th- it's great. It's so he says I was inventive. like I was stopped by a follower of yes. so and so. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The way that it's like said is really interesting to me too. Where it's just like I was stopped, and like it never, it doesn't even like make clear as to like what's going on between those two. It's right. Just his eyes turn a certain color, and there's this invisible barrier that he can't move past. Uh, and the dude turns into like a, a um, John Carpenter creature. All of a sudden, it yeah. totally is a thing, a thing type creature. Yeah, yeah. His his head pops off and turns into a spider. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember the people I was watching the movie with. It was still early enough in the movie that we weren't quite sure, like, where the rest of the movie might go. Um, And when that happened, they were like, is this going to be, like, that the whole time? Because this might be a little more intense than what I signed up for. You know, like, that was, like, a a scary moment. Yeah. I love that it was really effective. And I like that they just didn't dwell on it and never came back to it yeah yeah and then it's just a great piece of world building yeah yeah totally totally all right so, so he's what's in next? the he's back in the bottle back in, in the, the bottom ocean. of the ocean do you remember how he gets uncovered again after so much time he was in a fish and they're like gutting a fish and then the bottle that's right pops oh out. yeah that's right and then the merchant it's the the chef's or the merchant's chef finds him and then like he gives the bottle to his wife who's the the genius um the genius woman Mm -hmm. it's in like the renaissance right that's when that's happening am i wrong about that Mm, i think it was a little later than that i think it was like 1800 or 18th century i i guess i just associate i'm thinking that because she has that little like da vinci flying machine that she made it's like a little spiral the little spiral thing. So I just, I guess I assumed that like, okay, they're in like the 1400s or whatever. Yeah. Is that when Da Vinci time was? I'm, I want to place it like closer to the 1700s or 1800s, just the beginning of the scientific revolution. Um, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and it says mid 19th century. Okay. Okay. But, uh, um, I like, I liked that. I liked that segment a lot. 
And like I said earlier, I like that, like, when she, he grants her wish to be all knowledgeable, that that just entails her reading, um, all the books in the world. That's right. What did you guys think of, they, they make a very clear parallel between her and Tilda Swinton's character because they have that same tick where she'll very, um, obsessively like read and like tap her foot or her knee like while she's doing it they made it seem like i don't know to me at first glance is like oh is this like the same person is this tilda swinton or is this like a this is tilda swinton a descendant of this person or maybe it's just like a just a visual overlap between the two characters that's nice mm-hmm. for the story well, I, I think this, like, what, from what I brought up earlier about, like, what exactly is the nature of this story? Is it real? Is it a figment of Tilda Swinton's imagination? Yeah. And, I have this, I have the same question, but I sort of refuse to give the figment of the imagination a lot of, um, well, let me rephrase that. I for personal reasons, I just like reject the figment of the imagination <laughs> uh, take because that's not interesting to me. Uh huh. This like, is the know? classic. This is a story as old as time. The skeptic versus the believer. You know, the people mm-hmm. that you know want the magic to be real versus the the grouchy pessimist who's like, oh, you know, <laughs> you're being ridiculous. <laughs> um. So, but descendant. I mean, I think that's like a good explanation. I think it's an interesting, I think it's interesting to draw some, I don't remember that being uh, like a parallel between them, but I think it's interesting to draw similarities between them because they're actually opposite characters. If you think about it, Zafir, Zamir, I'm forgetting her name. Um, She, so their whole dynamic, which I find so fascinating is she comes to realize that the genie is um, manipulating her, right? Um, they, Mm -hmm. they are, they exist in, I guess a power imbalance doesn't really make sense because she's basically his equal by the time that she's all knowledgeable, but he has been manipulating her and she sort of senses that now he, he has this sway over her and she doesn't like that. Whereas the opposite is true of Tilda Swinton, that she has control over him because she's wished that he be her lover and that he love her and when she brings him to the uk mm-hmm. he is totally like he, it's fucking him up and he's dying and everything but yet he's still like at her beck and call and so like i feel like there's this interesting uh distinction between those two characters that um the dynamics are opposite between them um but i'm curious to i don't know what that parallel would be if if george miller's drawing one between them i think that's interesting well it's i think it's i would make the argument that it's like pretty clearly like a line drawn between the two because it's they there's like identical shots of Mm. like the knee and the foot like tapping like while reading a book like i think tilda swinton's is like on a plane yeah i remember and i think and i think uh zafir is that what you said something like that zamir uh hers is like in the study or whatever but it's like the exact same shot in a way that's is telling you like hey there's something 
these yeah it's saying like these are the same shot <laughs> that's all well, i don't know what I it's do, saying beyond that now that you're i do remember at the beginning of the movie um justin we're not gonna justify it anymore it's the same shot well no um tilda swinton is reading the book by running her finger along the pages mm-hmm. and sophia yeah, does yeah, the yeah. exact same thing um mm-hmm. And I do remember thinking, well, that's interesting because when Tilda Swinton does it, it just seems like she's just sort of this like voracious reader. But when you see Zafir doing it, it feels almost magical. Like she's like sort of absorbing the information of the book um, mm-hmm. as she runs her hand along the page. So Johnny, there better be style. some magic behind Johnny. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I really like the story. Otherwise, like. Um, I think the dynamic between them beyond just that whole her discovering the manipulation thing. Like I, I like that he goes off and finds the wonders of the world and he comes back and describes it to her. And all the while she's has this almost, uh, um, non-consensual relationship with this dude that she has to endure until she doesn't, until she's powerful, more powerful than him. I, I just mm-hmm. thought it was a great story. What exactly happened? She unlocked the, the the powers of sex and just like rocked his world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, "Are you happy?" That's like all he can think of. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What yeah. was that? I think that's it. Like she, that's what I'm saying is, at, she got to the point where she was basically a jinn without being mm-hmm. a jinn. Like she had like m- approaching magic powers. And I think she like yeah. used them. And that gets yeah, I think back that's to supported our... by the fact that like the stuff that she was learning, like one of the final shots of like her triumphantly, you know, unlocking the magic of science was her deriving Maxwell's equations of electromagnetism. Oh, I didn't. So... I was going to ask about that. I was going to ask like if what she was writing like meant anything at all. Yep. I just remember. She just remember seeing her like circling something like at the end of a at the end of equation and then like crying i I remember like some of the shots of like her derivations where she has like such huge fonts on pieces Uh of paper that she's doing math on i'm like right smaller this is why your your room is so disheveled because like (laughs) you're taking up like a whole page for a few lines of math doesn't show up that well on camera if you write something. Yeah, yeah. That was actually my thought. Uh, I remember thinking something similar, except I thought, like, well, back then, like, paper wasn't wasn't s- scarce, but it wasn't easy to come by either. Like, you got to conserve that shit. She was, a, she was also wealthy and seemingly had, like, a magical That's true. resource of books. That's so. true. So, like, it... Uh, I don't know. It's probably like not unlike how we use like electronic paper now, where it's like infinite, and so like our electronic usage of paper is uh, just inherently more messy. Like I don't know about you guys, but like my my workflow is just like chaos as compared to anything that I do on paper because paper is like I I have one shot at it. Yeah, if right. I'm writing something down, right. And I imagine that, like, with her, it's like if she had, like, a magical reservoir of paper, she just treated it like how we would treat, like, a note, uh, a virtual notepad. Right, right. Yeah. So, so, he, uh, so he transports into the melted-down bottle, which I like, too. I like the, the visual of those 
the mush oh, on the super cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. He uh, let's how it something happens where he goes into the bottle, and she wishes that she forgot about him entirely, and they make it seem like it happens just like at the right, like at the right second that it's uh, it can't be undone. Yeah, where like she got her wish out just as he like went into the bottle. Yeah, and uh-huh. then there was like nothing. He was more putting himself into the bottle voluntarily to try to placate her. Yes, I believe that's right. He's like, "Oh no, I'm not going to be as clinging anymore. I'll put myself away. Right. Don't send me away." And then at that mm-hmm. moment, which I guess he can't get out of the bottle by himself. I guess that's the way that's they work. That's the rules. And then yeah, yeah she she asks to forget him which is something that tilda swinton i think also like line for line word for word almost said the same thing in the hotel room like i wish we had never met something like that yeah that's in the that's in the trailer and then and then that's when he got into the bottle that finally tilda swinton picked up Mm -hmm. the blue Mm -hmm. one with the stripes yeah because it was like a collection of bottles it was it was part of the same collection of bottles that Zephyr. I'm just gonna say Severe because whatever. Um, where she kept all of her knowledge, right? All of her yeah. like mm-hmm. secrets of the universe were contained in all these bottles, and so she just had like an eclectic, yeah, collection. Of and these that things. bottle, that bottle specifically, there's a shot, like an insert shot of the old dude's hand putting it down, like as if it's a gift to her. Like he just was bringing her bottles left and mm-hmm. right and that was just one of them so it is very like an unceremonious in one way it's just a yeah. random bottle that her captor essentially brought her that's right yeah uh and then what how does he i guess he they do they ever say how he ends up in the shop um no no i don't think so yeah i mean i guess it's not that important but yeah and then we then we're at tilda swinton and then we have the Hallmark movie that proceeds after that, where uh, they uh, she wishes for his love, and then they go and live like a little life together in um, England. Yeah, London. Yeah, yeah. In London, I think so. Mm-hmm. I'll say I think that was probably my least favorite part of the movie. And then it didn't, this is what I was thinking like while watching it, and then it wasn't rectified by the end. So I'm going to give that last, you know, fourth of the movie like a solid B minus. <laughs> I like it. I think, uh, I think I just wanted a little more um, meat on the bone, like in terms of like why she made the decision. And maybe a little more, like even like twenty minutes longer in London, I think I would have been satisfied with. It, it was really like pretty quick caught me by surprise that she asked, you know, to to like be in love with that with the genie. I had the same reaction. It I really tried to. Didn't... I tried to ask the people I was watching with about watching it with about this, where like her kind of out of the blue wish of like I want that same love like felt a little unjustified to me but like i don't know maybe i like just missed something i think it's i mean i think there's it's um two things one 
you learn that she has this emptiness and this yearning for human connection that she's lost one mm-hmm. from a miscarriage and two from her husband. And she seems to be on this like long quest. To, she's, she's searching for, she's actively seeking it, even though she's telling herself that she's not. And even right. though she's literally compartmentalized it in mm-hmm. her basement, that she seems to nevertheless be on, on the, on a quest for it. And then you also have the fact that he's a magical being who seems to woo women and who he says women like her are his type. Like he just says that. So I feel like mm-hmm. after you have those those two factors plus the fact that we're led to believe that they've been sitting in this hotel room for 12 hours listening to these romantic epic tales. I think mm-hmm. I do think the movie itself like I I would have preferred the movie to be a little longer and a little more sort of drawn out in its narrative. Um because I understand why people think that it was sudden. I don't think it's unjustified or necessarily like out of left field that she feels this way. I think she sees mm-hmm. an opportunity and jumps at it. Well, it's, I guess I just didn't see a lot of like on-screen evidence that it was building towards that because I I mean there's the the moment when I forget what prompts it, but she does like the gulp thing, like the insert shot of like the gulp that's the same shot from like Sheba when she is wooed by Solomon in the very beginning. So it's like this callback or whatever. So I remember seeing that and be like, oh, okay, she's like into him. But like outside of that, I didn't see a lot of evidence that she was really being wooed by him specifically. Like I uh, agree with the fact that there's like this very large emptiness within her, but I didn't like... I wasn't able to immediately connect the dots between like, oh, he's the guy who's going to fill it, obviously. Yeah. You know, I just, yeah. it, that was like kind of a leap for me. And, I, I don't, I... and I'm not saying that I'm not, I, I think that I'm wrong. I think that I, I just like no, I, interpret something. I think you're, no, I think you're right in the sense that um, I don't think the movie does the best job at portraying that evolution in their dynamic, their relationship. Um, cause it, uh, you do go from, they, they get, they become friendly with each other, but you go from friendly to, I want you to come with me. I do think, I, th- I think what we are supposed to take away from it, at least what I take away from it is like, she has kept this, um, she has like a really thin manhole cover and underneath the manhole cover is all this like yearning and, and longing, right? Longing. And she needs this hole filled, um, no entendre intended but like i think that as soon as she meets him that manhole cover is like easily blown off and yeah. she's like great you're you're stop a, using you're... sexually charged language justin i Jesus know i know manhole <laughs> covers totally blown. i know but but i think she's like she she has that um that mask on and then it's very easily torn off and as soon as it's torn off, she's like, I have a fucking genie in my room. I may as well jump at the opportunity. And also, it's Idris Elba. There's like a sexy man in my room who's right. uh, 5,000 years old and knows all about the world. Yeah. So, like, I, I kind of, like, think all those ingredients add up to a logical conclusion. But I agree with you that there's the filmmaking doesn't allow for that to really grow like it should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to know how I understand it? Hmm. 
and this relates back to like the discussion that maybe now would be a good time to have about like what these stories are to her. Yeah. I, I think that these stories are like a way for herself to try to understand herself. So I think that all the stories relate back to her, at least the first and the third. So I think in retrospect, looking back, the first story about Chiba, this very sexual being that is just like the embodiment of beauty is like, is a conduit for her to try to understand her own sexuality and like the very human need for, you know, physical connection as well as emotional. I think that the answer to like what all women want from the first section, having taken the whole movie in as a whole, something along the lines of like being idolized, um, given being given like manly attention and just being like, sexed out of your mind something like that something very carnal yeah yeah this is not me saying it this is what i think the movie is trying to tell me that's what i desire as uh as a man so yeah <laughs> i don't know maybe it's not gender gender specific uh and so that's yeah, what i think it is like i think that's the first story i think is like maybe where the answer lies as to like where that stuff came from from within Tim Swinton. yeah I think that's like as good a good a take as any. I think uh I think I will wrap up my thoughts by saying um if I think the the idea that it's all a figment of her imagination is like not additive, not an additive element to the story. I think mm-hmm. that's a subtractive element to the story whereas if it ends and you are led to believe or you do believe that he is real and he comes when he can and they maintain this love between them and she gets to have these this story that is meaningful to her i think that's that is a fully satisfying story um yeah. and i'm happy mm. with it I, I i wish the movie i think the pacing of the movie um, is off and I wish they'd spent a little more time on their relationship but overall I I quite enjoyed this movie and it's going to be one of my f- favorites of the year I think that's for sure alright want to give it a rating um we'll come back to it yeah uh I think that the uh figment of the main character's imagination is a subtractive element to any story. Yes, I agree. With that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's no surprise here. Uh, I also surprisingly enjoyed this movie. I, th- I think the context in which I saw it was really f- funny because, as we talked about earlier, I was like ready for like a wall-to-wall like action trippy. Uh, leap out of my seat movie um because of the trailer but then like justin sort of spoiled that for me not in like a way that i uh didn't like it was just i knew that it wasn't like what the trailer represented and that uh made me concerned about like the guests that i had invited to like watch this movie with me um but despite that, I and uh, my co-watchers really, really enjoyed it. Um, and it was very, 
it it was like the opposite of that wall to wall thing in a way that was very satisfying. It was so subtle and quaint and slow. Uh, and I just I was able to let the movie just sort of just like wash over me, and uh-huh. I wasn't like aggressively interacting with the movie in any way. It was more of like a spa movie for me. I guess that part of that is just that the fact that they're in <laughs> bathrobes and towels the whole time. I felt relaxed just like watching that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was like a surprise um, outside of Justin telling me it wasn't the trailer. Um, but despite that, I really loved it. And I was really satisfied that like it also like checked the boxes of the people who I thought might not be into it around me so i'll give it a uh eight and a half uh i'm taking sex dungeon so you can knock it off with that idea uh eight and a half um self-reassembling Solomon instruments out of 10. That was so cool. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, I, I couldn't agree more with like how the trailer portrayed the movie versus what we got. I really appreciated that it was like a more you're being like stepped through the movie as opposed to being like a Yodorowsky style assault on the senses. Mm-hmm. Which is what the trailer looked like. That's that's the first association that I had was like Holy Mountain. Um, I'll draw a bit of a, a go a bit against the grain here as far as like versus whether the movie is. Uh, can you hear? Can you hear my a little bit of rumbling in my background? No. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Stacy was in the kitchen. Oh. What, was she rolling a boulder? She's <laughs> doing something. No, just like very loud plastic. <laughs> this is like a common theme in like meetings now for me where it's like the technology that like filters out the bullshit in your background has gotten it's so, so good. It's right. so good now that people are like, oh, I'm so sorry about the noise. And like everyone in the call is like, what are you, <laughs> like what noise are you talking about? I, I it feel turns like out an they're hallucinating. It up. <laughs> um, no, but just as far, I think it actually, I like viewing the movie as just, this is Tilda Swinton, a very troubled character, using stories and her imagination as a, as a way to make, as a way to understand herself and then ultimately get better. Because then it becomes like a very human story about Tilda Swinton and the power of story. And I think what George Miller is trying to say is that that way of telling and using stories is how real humans have used those for millennia now. I think he's trying to comment like the role that that had in history was as a therapy and a way of understanding the world and a way to pass down information and and teach us things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um which is what I yeah, so that that's I I like the way of looking at it like that. And and it still allows me to enjoy all the mysticism because it's like really fun to watch and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, while also grounding me to reality. 
because I am an adult. <laughs> adult so, movies for adult, adult audiences. <laughs> George Miller. Uh, and for those reasons and mores, I will give the movie a solid eight orgy dungeons out of ten. Great. No, nine voluptuous uh, concubines out of ten. For me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like part of the like uh, twelve days of Christmas. It does. <laughs> <laughs>